Welcome to the e-commerce badassery podcast, the place for scrappy female entrepreneurs who want to learn actionable steps and strategies to grow the traffic, sales, and profit in your e-commerce business. I'm your host, Jessica Totillo Coster, a 20-year retail veteran who spent three years as the only employee of a seven-figure online store. That shit was crazy. I know exactly how it feels to do all the things, and I'm sharing everything I learned the hard way so you don't have to. I may have started this business by accident, but supporting badass bosses like you lights me the fuck up, and I am so stoked to see you grow. Are you ready, babe? Let's roll. Welcome back to the e-commerce badassery podcast. I'm your host, Jessica Totillo Coster. We've got another kick-ass guest on the show this week, Katie Hunt. She's the founder of Proof to Product, formerly known as Trade Show Bootcamp, a business strategist and mentor to product-based entrepreneurs. She's helped thousands of entrepreneurs through her in-person conferences, online courses, and group coaching program. Katie is also the host of the Proof to Product podcast, where she takes listeners behind the scenes of growing a product-based business and has taught classes for Creative Live, The National Stationery Show, The Savvy Experience, Be Sage, Sean West Conference, and Unique Camp. She's been featured on Forbes, BuzzFeed, Brit & Co., ABC Chicago, and Voyage LA, and has also been interviewed on a variety of popular podcasts. And now she's here walking us through what you really need to sell your product wholesale, how to make sure you're priced for profit, and we geek out a little bit on how much joy we both get from working with our clients. She's got a passion for creating, a mind for business, and a strong desire to help others succeed, which is why I think we just hit it off so well from day one that we met. And when she's not cheering on her clients or dreaming up new workshops, you can find her spending time with her husband and four young children, hosting friends for dinner, or surfing Instagram, which is where I think we first met. All right, e-commerce friend, let's get right into it. Welcome to the show, Katie. Thank you so much for having me, Jessica. I'm so excited to chat with you today, and I already told the audience all about you in the intro, but I'd love to just kind of hear it from you, and also, when did you decide that you were going to do this crazy thing and be an entrepreneur? Yeah, right? I know. This wild ride. So hi, guys. My name is Katie Hunt. I run a company called Proof to Product. We had our 10-year business birthday this month, well, in February when we're recording this, and I decided I wanted to be an online entrepreneur 12 years ago, actually. It was when I started my stationary brand that is no longer around. I ran that for eight years, and I was selling to stores all over the United States and Canada. I was exhibiting at trade shows, and I loved it. But in my first couple years of building that brand, I was looking around in my community of other designers and product makers, and I was like, oh my gosh, these people are such talented artists, but they really are lacking business knowledge. They just don't know what to do. And then they're doubting themselves. They're not moving forward on things because they're unsure, whereas my background was in business, and I was self-taught in art. So I'm looking at them going, oh my gosh, your work is amazing. How do I do that? You know, And I'm sitting here like, I know the business side of things, but struggling with the art, and they know that art side of things, but they struggle with business. And I said, there's an opportunity here for all of us to learn from each other. So let's bring it together. Let's share what we know. And then we can all just grow. Like our path is going to look different. Our definition of success will look different. But 
we can help each other with our shared experiences and resources and things like that. So in 2011, I started Proof to Product. It was under a different name at the time, but that's what my company does. We basically work with product-based business owners. We help them sell wholesale. That's our primary core programming. Um, Our people sell to Target and Nordstrom Container Store. It's mostly consumer gift brands that we work with, people in stationery, um, textiles, candles, more like the smaller gift items. But, you know, we've got courses and conferences and memberships and all of the things that people have. My goal is to help 500,000 product-based business owners and make a very positive impact in not only their business, but their life. So that's where we're working towards. I love that you have a number on it. I need to put a number on my goal, but it's very similar to my story really is the people that I work with, they have a product that either... They created to solve a problem because they couldn't find what they were looking for in the market, or they have a boutique because they just really love clothes, but they don't have a retail or e-commerce background. And that's what I've been doing for 20 plus years. So it's really fun to come in and give kind of that backbone business piece to just help them push their craft or their creative side forward and having that foundational stuff. So I love that you do that. Thank you. I feel like it's rocket fuel, right? Like they already have amazing products and ideas and they just need that foundational piece to set them up for success because it amplifies all that they're doing on the marketing side, on the production side, even just little tweaks to their pricing or to you know their fulfillment or whatever. It just can make such a difference in the overall strength of the business. Yeah. And one of my biggest or my most exciting things that I get to do is just like help them save time. So instead of the business running them, they're running the business like a true CEO. And then they can get back to doing the whole reason they went into business for themselves was to spend more time with their family and do all that kind of stuff. So when I get to be just like a teeny piece of that, oh my gosh, it just makes me so happy. I could not agree with you more. It's my favorite thing in the world to hear updates from our alumni community and I actually just talked with a woman the other day and I hadn't heard from her in a couple of years because I knew she's had a couple of kids and she was like, Katie, I'm in like a ridiculous amount of stores. I started working with sales reps. I have these two young kids at home and, you know, she's just exhilarated by how her business has grown even through this life transition of growing her family at the same time. So it's just so fun to watch and to see their hard work come to fruition. Yeah. Oh my God. It's literally so satisfying. And of all the jobs I've had, this is the most satisfying one simply because of that. Well, I'm super excited to talk wholesale with you. A little bit of my background for you and for those listening who maybe don't know, I'm really on the retail reseller side. I'm on the receiving end of the wholesale. I did have my own brick and mortar boutique. So I understand the concept. I know what I wanted to see as someone buying that. But I think getting it from someone who's really focusing on doing that and hearing the information from you is going to be super powerful for them. So I'd love to know, one is, when do they know it's the right time for them to go into wholesale? 
I feel like this is the million dollar question tied with when's the right time to do a trade show? When is the right time to hire a team? When is the right time to have a baby? I don't know all of the things, right? But, um, you know, there's some key foundational pieces that I want manufacturers to have in place before they consider wholesale. And um, this is kind of the order that we take people through in our program too called Paper Camp. But basically, I want your product ready. I want you to have a large enough line that wholesale buyers can pick and choose from your line and still form an order. They can hit that opening order requirement without having to struggle. I guess what I mean by that too, for people that are wondering, no buyer, and you can attest to this, no buyer is going to purchase everything we sell as much as we would like them to. So if you're only selling 10 things and they have to buy all 10 to hit that opening order requirement, they may pass until you have more. Whereas if you have 50 SKUs or 100 SKUs, they can very easily hit that opening order number by picking and pulling and choosing their things from the catalog. So I really want people to have at least 48 SKUs in their line before they start wholesaling. I want you to know that your production costs are as low as you can get them, which means that your profit margins are going to be as high as we can get them. I don't want you selling things to the wholesale market that you're not making money on. And so one of the things that I hear from a lot of people are, if I wholesale this, I'm not going to make any money on it. And I'm like, well, then you don't wholesale it. You just sell that to the retail side and you sell different items to the wholesale side. So really they need to take a holistic look at their business and think, do I have enough product? Do I have the profit margin to be able to wholesale this? And then the next step in that is sales tools, like the catalogs and your wholesale terms and conditions and kind of that baseline of what do people need to know to purchase from you and what kind of requirements do they need to hit? So those are the two very first early pieces. I could go on and on what's next after that, but really I want your product line to be strong. I want it to be cohesive so that it all kind of correlates together because you need to think about merchandising for your stores. And I want to make sure you're making money on it. That's whole point of us doing this. So I want to make sure your profit margins are strong. Yeah, for sure. And just coming from the boutique side and just in retail in general, you know, when we like, we're not going to bring in one item from a vendor because it doesn't create a presentation in the store. I can't make an impact with that. It makes it harder to sell. And like you said, I'm not going to buy everything you sell unless you have like the most amazing line. And I think I can sell every single unit, but that's usually not the case. So it's so easy to get caught up in the, how is this going to work for my business? Is wholesale the right thing for my business? But you also have to think about the retailer and can the retailer sell this? Am I setting them up for success? Because if you don't, they're not going to come back and buy from you again either. So if you make it hard and maybe they give you a chance that first time and they buy things they're not like a hundred percent confident in to hit that minimum order and then it doesn't sell, like they're not coming back. No. And to be ready for wholesale, there's really two sides of this coin, as you mentioned. There's internally within my business as a manufacturer, there's things I need to have ready, right? I need to know I can produce my products quickly. I need to know I'm making that profit margin. I need to know that I've got enough product to sell, right? But then on the flip side, to your point, we need to make it as easy as possible for these stores to purchase from us. We need to make it a good customer experience. We need to make sure that we're eliminating hurdles that they have to jump through. And we want to make it as easy as possible. We want to make sure that it's merchandised well on their shop. So we want to make sure that if they're online, we're giving them images they can use. We want to make their lives as simple as possible because that feeds into the relationship between the manufacturer and the buyer. And if the buyer can rely on you to deliver on your promises, 
to come out with new product regularly, to help solve problems when they have them, they're going to keep coming back to you over and over again for more product as your line develops, as you do new things. And so, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. We need to think of it with others in mind, not just internally within our own business. And that's a mindset that a lot of manufacturers have a hard time understanding. Yeah. And I love that you bring up the relationship piece of it because that's really all business is. No matter what you're selling, physical, service, B2B, doesn't matter. It's always about that relationship. And unless you created the most innovative product ever, right? Like if you're Squatty Potty, I can only get you from Squatty Potty, right? But if you have something that other people sell, like that's going to be the deciding factor of whether they buy from you or buy from someone else. So it is really important to make sure that you are ready for that. And I would even say that your wholesale customers, like you have an even closer relationship with them than you do with your end user, like your direct to consumer right? That's like a whole other level of intimacy, basically, (laughs) and relationship. I agree with you. I would say that you need to invest more time and energy on your wholesale accounts and building that relationship than you do with the direct-to-consumer side, for sure. And I don't think that it's necessarily like a fast track to riches. So I don't want people to get like that FOMO of like, oh, I'm not doing it right now. I feel like I need to be in all the places and do all the things. But it's a whole separate arm of your business that takes a whole separate set of resources to do it really well. It's an entirely different business model. I mean, your audience is different. Your marketing strategies are different. The way you process orders is slightly different. The frequency in which you do some of your marketing is different. The messaging, of course, is different. You know, it's essentially like having two businesses under the same brand. Right. And so I want to touch on the pricing piece because I think there's so much misinformation and I think it's really misunderstood you know, what I see with a lot of product entrepreneurs is they're generally underpriced to begin with. And then when it comes time to wholesale, they really don't have the margin for that. So if you're just starting or creating a new product, even if you don't think that you are going to wholesale later, you should still price yourself as if you are going to. Otherwise, you're just undercutting yourself. And then if the opportunity ever arises, you can't give the retailer enough margin to make it worth it. So I kind of have my position on this as a previous boutique owner, but I would love to hear how you present this to your clients and how you teach it. Yeah. So to sum it up real briefly, like ultimately what it dials down is the manufacturer sets the wholesale price and the boutique owners are going to set the retail price in store. And that's a really critical thing for people to understand. So I want to take this in two phases if we can. Me as a manufacturer, identifying what my pricing is, I have to run my numbers in two different ways. I need to run it from the bottom up, meaning I need to look at everything that goes into creating that product. In a greeting card, it's going to be the paper, the printing, the cello sleeve it's packaged in, the envelope, all of these pieces go into our production costs. And then I need to make sure those production costs are covered. And so my price obviously has to be much more than that. But I also want you to look at top down. So when I say top down, I mean, I want you to look at the industry as a whole and look at what other products that are similar to yours are selling for on the market, like retail price. And so your sweet spot of pricing is going to be somewhere in the middle of those two numbers. Obviously, it's going to be more closer to that 
top-down number of what the general market can bear. But if you price yourself too low, you are leaving money on the table, and that is not healthy for your business. If you price your products too high, you're pricing yourself out of the market, and general consumers or wholesale accounts aren't going to be purchasing from you because they just can't make it work, right? So that's internally as the manufacturer. You really need to carefully consider your numbers and what you're trying to achieve there. But when you start selling wholesale, you will tell your store owners – these are our wholesale prices. And generally, store owners are going to keystone that, which means they're going to double your wholesale price. However, there are people in New York or California in different places where they have either higher overhead or maybe there's just people that have a more luxurious market where they can warrant a higher price. Their customers will pay a higher price. They're going to more than keystone your products. So keystoning is the bare minimum. And I would say even the keystoning is kind of becoming a little lower than the norm. I'd say people are probably like 2.2 on your wholesale price. But this is important because you need to recognize what the buyers are doing with your pricing for a couple of reasons. One, you need to make sure that they're getting enough margin. If you have your wholesale prices too high and they can't at least double them, they can't make a profit on them, which I know you know intimately from having your store. The other thing is too, I see a mistake people making. I don't like it when our manufacturers tell people this is the suggested retail price because again, you as a store owner, you know what your customers will pay for something. And it may be less than what the manufacturer is recommending, it may be higher than what the manufacturer is representing or recommending. So what I tell everybody is set your pricing based on what your needs are and what the market will bear. Make sure that you're in the range. Otherwise, you're going to price yourself out of it or you're going to leave money on the table and make sure that your stores can at minimum keystone it. But really, you want them to get the highest profit margin possible because then they'll keep coming back to you too. If you're maximizing your profit and they're maximizing their profit, it's a win-win for everybody. Yeah. And from the boutique side of it too, just the retail side of it is you got to think about, you know, it's a lot of overhead to have a brick and mortar store. I used to have one. It's a lot of overhead and you have to think of the responsibility that they have, especially when you're talking about smaller gift items, right? And so here's how I used to kind of structure my business is I was in a very popular shopping destination. It was like higher income. So I sold jeans that sold for like $170, $200. Like that was the thing. It was like the years of jeans and dressy tops, right? And I knew that I could sell a top. If it was under $100, I could sell it all day long. But I needed to have those brand names to bring the people in, right? And on those, I only had a 2.2 markup because I had MSRP. There was really nothing else I could do about that. So it was all of my accessories and the gift items that would be two and a half to three times I would mark it up so that my overall markup for all of my products would level out somewhere in the middle so that I could actually make money and like pay my, you know, thousand dollar a month electric bill, (laughs) whatever it was. And the other thing, especially for these smaller items too, is Now I've got to find some place to put them. I probably have to buy something to display them on. I have to worry about shrinkage, things getting broken, things getting stolen. And that's just money that I'm out. Like I'm just losing that money. So I need the margin to cover not only my overhead, but all of my shrink too. And so there are times when I'll be in a Facebook group and somebody's talking about wholesaling their product and someone else will say, well, I give 10 to 15% off of my retail price. 
face. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And I will just tell you, for those of you listening, if you came to me and told me your wholesale price was 10 to 15% less than your retail price, I would not buy that from you because it's going to cost me money to have your product in my store. So Thank you so much for that. I love that you're, you know, taking it away from all the formulas that you see on the website, on the internet. <laughs> you know, it's funny when I teach paper camp, I'm like, look, I'm not going to give you a formula. I'm not going to tell you times this, times that, da, 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 because I don't believe in any of those because they usually either inflate your price to something that's outside the market norm or you're charging way too little. And I want to echo something you said earlier on this episode, like most people are undercharging for their products. And I think that is very much driven from these formulas that are out on the internet. Now, I don't blame people for like, they're Googling, they're trying to educate themselves, they're trying to figure this out. And that's what they found. But I agree with you wholeheartedly, we should not be looking to those types of standardized formulas to price our products. Because to your point too, like for someone in my community that sells multiple types of product categories, they're going to have different profit margin on each of those products because their manufacturing expenses are different. The volume at which they're creating them is different. And so, you know, you got to take the overarching <laughs> average there. Yes. And that's exactly how I used to price my product in a boutique. And that's how I would tell my clients to do it well is like, ultimately, for a boutique really to survive, you need at least a 60% margin. And you're not going to get 60% on every product, you're going to get 50 on some and 70 on others, and it's going to average out for you. And so you're trying to kind of accomplish that same thing with your product line. And I think too, that in the maker space, I feel like they forget to actually calculate if they weren't the ones making it, if they had to hire someone else, or if they were going to actually pay themselves for the time to create the product, they're not calculating that in. Do you find that? Oh, I'm over here smiling and nodding. Yes. So a lot of people that come find me are people that are working at their kitchen tables. They're starting their business at home and they don't even really have any aspiration to take it elsewhere to hire other people or to outsource it or anything like that. They also don't necessarily realize it's possible, I think, as part of it too. And so they are, they're undervaluing their design time or their sewing time or whatever it is that they're doing. And then they have this harsh reality at some point where it's like they can't keep up with the volume of the orders. And so then they're either hiring somebody and paying them an hourly rate, which they had never taken into consideration because they were doing it and they didn't factor in their time or they're outsourcing it to another company to do. And they're of course paying for that time and labor and materials and things. The large majority do outsource everything. The brands I work with, some of them do it themselves or they have a team. Like we have a lot of letterpress printers, but they'll do stuff in-house or sometimes they'll outsource things. But I tell everybody, I want you to come into this with the mindset that you will be outsourcing it and read it that way even before you're doing it because then you are factoring in your time. You know, it's not just the materials. <laughs> it's the labor and the time that goes into this as well. So I think that's a huge issue with a lot lot of young business owners. And I think they need to think a little bigger and they need to think ahead of like, okay, what do I want my business to look like in five years or when they hit certain milestones? And most of the time that's going to require either paying help to come and do it in-house or outsourcing it. So they want to factor that in from the beginning. 
Yeah. Even if you don't intend to have this big, huge business, if you're thinking about what it's going to be in the future, maybe it just means that it's more play money, like for your side hustle. If the market can bear more than what you're charging today, like please do not compete on price because it's just a race to the bottom. Like just don't do that. (laughs) I'm not a fan of discounting like on the wholesale side or the direct to consumer side. Like there's so many other ways you can provide value and incentives to people. And yeah, I agree with you. I love having that conversation. I think it's so important. I don't think that we can talk about it enough. So I hope that everyone is like really taking that in. And you know what? You are worth higher prices. Like we're not encouraging people just to abstractly raise their prices, right? Like I'm not a fan of that either of like, oh, well, you know. Let's just raise them. I do want you to do your homework. I want you to understand your industry. I want you to understand the stores you work with or the direct-to-consumer audience that you're serving. You know, we can't just raise our prices, but you need to be charging what you're worth. You deserve it. Your products deserve it. Your business needs it too to continue growing. Yeah, I love that. And on that note, I'm going to leave that one there. And so now let's say we've got into the place where we've decided or we figured out, okay, we really have our pricing dialed in. We have enough SKUs. We know that it's time. We're going to do wholesale. We got everything we need. How do we actually like pitch retailers? Yeah. I like to use a tiered outreach approach. And what I mean by that is I like you to reach out in multiple ways. So the easiest and freest way to do it is sending a simple email. And I have some templates that I share with our community of like, You want to keep it brief, you want to keep it scannable, and you want to show why they should consider buying from you. What's the benefit to the store owner to purchase from you? So you want to introduce who you are, you want to talk about the types of products you have, and then I like to have bullet points. And the bullet points are, here's our opening order amount. It's roughly 10 to 12 SKUs that you need to choose to hit that opening order, whatever it is. I'm making up these numbers. Um, There's three ways to order from us. You can do it on fair. You can reply to this email. You can call us or whatever ways you want to offer that. But you want to make it really quick and easy for them to see, yes, this is something I want. And here's the next step. The next step being how to place the order. And I will say it's tough at the beginning because most people when they start wholesaling are still getting their product ready. They're still getting their terms and conditions for wholesale ready. They're still developing their catalog. And at the same time, they're trying to reach out to stores because they're wanting to get the ball rolling, right? And so I will tell you your catalog and your mailing list of who you want to be targeting of prospect stores. Those are the most two time consuming pieces outside of developing your product line. So you do want to take your time with them and you do want to be considerate in how you're identifying stores that are right for you as well as doing your catalog. But going back to the mechanics of it, I like to start with an email, include some images, include a link to your catalog so they can get a sense of who you are. And then follow up with some snail mail. Send a postcard that has product images and on the back have similar bullet points to what you put in the email so that you're going to catch them on different days. They may miss your email, but maybe they'll see the postcard. Maybe they saw the email, but missed the postcard, whatever it is. And then the third kind of layer of this is just be engaging on social media or other platforms that these stores are hanging out on. You know, like their stuff, comment on their posts, share their posts and your feed. Basically, think of ways that you can enhance and build this relationship 
relationship in a thoughtful manner rather than approaching it as sell, sell, sell. You know, like we really want to build the relationship because the orders come with that. I mean, that's very elementary. Like here's a way to do it. Um, There's a lot more nuance to that, of course. And I have like a whole flow chart of if they respond to the first email, then do this. But like it's at minimum, get kind of a templated email together that shows the benefits of buying from you the details they need, again, always having your buyer hat on, what information do they need to place that order and how you can make it easy and add value to their day because they're busy. Yeah. So I'm going to talk about this a little bit too is like, I applaud scrappy entrepreneurs who are just taking messy action and they want to get stuff done. Like those are my kind of people. But (laughs) as a buyer, if you come to me and you don't have all the answers to my questions or I'm trying to find information or your website's not like complete, I'm not going to buy from you because I don't have the time to ask for that information. And frankly, there's probably someone else who is ready who is selling me something similar. So I am all about messy action, but <laughs> very refined messy action. Yes, refined messy action. I had somebody in our course just this week say to me, I'm not quite there yet. I don't quite have enough SKUs. Like I've got my terms and conditions, but I don't really have a catalog to send them. Should I start introducing myself and say this is coming soon? And I said, no. I want you to get your ducks in a row. I want you to have everything ready so that when you do reach out, you're making just an amazing first impression. You look polished. You look professional. You're giving them all the information they need to make an educated decision for their business. And you're not showing up kind of haphazardly or like, oh, but it's coming. And my line is coming. You know, I'll have something for you soon. We also don't want to show up apologetic, right? We don't want to say, I don't have this ready yet, but I'll have it together soon. So I really want to encourage people. Wholesale is something you want to plan for and you do want to methodically approach it. So being prepared and I do want you to take action, but I want you to take prepared, thoughtful action. Yeah. And I think, you know, in terms of maybe having a date that you think it's going to happen and not meeting that date, I think your end consumer is going to be a lot more forgiving than your wholesale customer is because they've got their own deadlines, their own budget that they're managing. And if they're saying, yeah, okay, I'm going to spend this money with you and you don't deliver, now they've got empty space on their sales floor. Whereas the consumer is just going to say like, okay, well, I'll wait for whenever you get it kind of thing. Exactly. So a store owner in their buying decision, they're thinking about shelf space. They're thinking about the turns in their store. They're thinking about their own cash flow. They're thinking about upcoming events or things that are happening. They're thinking logistics of business. The direct-to-consumer audience, they're thinking about the joy and emotions that come with your product, right? How is it going to solve a problem in their day-to-day life? Who are they going to gift it to that's going to love to receive it? It's a much different buying experience. The end consumer is thinking about price and who it's for and the feelings and emotions attached to the buying process. Whereas the wholesale side, it's business. It's what's my margin? What's my shelf space? What's my cash flow? You know, so even just that difference is a really stark one to make sure we're remembering as we're entering this. Yeah, that's a great way to kind of illustrate the difference there. So thank you for better articulating that. No, I was adding to what you were saying. (laughs) Yes. And let me ask you this. I mean, I've been kind of out of that side of the game for a while. And it's 
you know, COVID at the time that we're recording this. (laughs) But I used to actually pick up a lot of vendors who smartly just actually popped into my boutique to meet me. Now, if they came in on a Saturday or a Friday night, uh, get out. I'm not going to talk to you. Monday's also not a great day because I'm doing reporting and all of that from like the weekend and everything. But if you pop in on like a Tuesday or Wednesday to kind of just say, hi, don't assume I'm going to look at all your product, but maybe you're going to shake my hand. You're going to leave a catalog with me, but making that impression, you know, is that still a thing these days? I don't recommend it. Like even before COVID, I didn't recommend it. And the analogy I give is let's pretend you're making dinner one night and somebody comes knocking at your door and they want to sell you like magazines or something, right? Like they're interrupting you, like doing whatever you're doing, making dinner. So store owners are busy. As you just pointed out, there are certain days that you're even more busy than normal. And the other thing is, too, it's not always the buyer that's working the store. Sometimes it's, you know, a staff member. And so I usually tell people not to just pop into a store. But to your point, too, I do say if you're in the area, if you're on vacation and you see a shop that's a good fit for you, if you want to drop off a catalog and a sample and a postcard or a message of some sort, just drop it and pretty much go. Like, I don't want people saying, can I show you everything? Can I bring my entire deck of product? You know, like it's not the time to do that. Buyers are so busy, so, so busy. And even more so now with COVID, you know, there's an extra layer of safety things they're having to deal with. And are we going to open? Are we not going to open? Like there's a lot of different considerations. And so I really recommend going with some of the more remote access point touch points to begin with. And, you know, at some point, if it makes sense and you've established that relationship, yeah, stop by and say hi. But I don't know. Right now, I don't think it's the best approach. I think it leaves more of a negative impression than it does a positive impression. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, you're not the only one pitching them. So, (laughs) oh my gosh. Okay. Let's go back. How many pitches did you get a day in your email inbox from manufacturers that wanted to work with you? Like hundreds, right? Yeah, it was crazy. And then what would happen too is you'd have, you know, showrooms who maybe they were not as organized, right? And it would depend how the showroom was set up. Sometimes you have a rep that reps all the lines in your area. So you're dealing with one person, but sometimes it is each line has their own person who's doing every area. And so you getting multiple emails from like the same showroom for six different lines. And it's just like, okay, guys, guys, (laughs) it's too much. It's too much. And I'm hearing the same thing from buyers about FAIR, to be honest, that FAIR is pushing out a lot of emails and buyers are missing things or just kind of ignoring them because it's too much to deal with. I think we just need to remember there's a human on the other side of it. And we need to think about it from our own perspective of what do I like? (laughs) You know, how would I like to be approached for something and treat it with, you know, those gloves on? Yeah, I love that so much. And we kind of touched on this a little bit already. You kind of talked about it, but we can go a little bit deeper. When people ask me about doing email and such for D2C, I'm going to tell them the same thing. Like it's a human on the other side. You're trying to have a conversation. You're trying to build a relationship. It's not always about the hard sell, right? So I think it's very similar in that way. But one of the things that you said in terms of the difference in the mindset of the wholesale consumer and the end consumer, right? Wholesale, 
that customer is thinking logistically, budgets, margin, do I have space on my sales floor? The other customer, the end user, it's all about the emotion behind that and the joy of the product. So how does that kind of lead into your marketing strategy if you're doing both channels? So I usually tell people, um, I just did a training actually inside of our labs program where we mapped out one year of emails for both direct-to-consumer and for wholesale in an hour. Now, we didn't write them, but we mapped out what it was going to look like. And also, we talked about you know, creating templates for these types of things. So the wholesale side, I really want people emailing at least once a month. And in those emails, again, thinking of the logistics, the practicality, who's receiving it, we're talking about things like, these are our best sellers of the quarter. We're talking about whatever new product is out because buyers always want to know what's new. If we're offering any incentives or promotions, or maybe you're doing something through FAIR where you are offering the 60-day net terms, talk about that incentive, how they can get extended terms if they order in this certain way. We're going to talk about, we do want to show behind the scenes. We do want to put a face to the brand and let them know who the people are behind it. But Every communication and touch point needs to be thinking about what the needs are of our customer. It's the same on direct-to-consumer side, right? But the frequency and the messaging are going to change. So what I tell our community is I want you to create a handful of templates. Like I want you to have an email that's created to highlight your best sellers. And you can just take that same template once a quarter and you can drop in new products based upon whatever your best sellers were. And you can have the links go straight to your site wherever you want them to buy. And so the same thing for new products. Here's what's new. And you can have a different type of template that you swap in your new images and your new products for things. So there are ways to create systems and processes for this that doesn't make it feel overwhelming. I can tell you with certainty that all manufacturers are worried that they are sending too many emails to store owners. They're worried about sounding salesy. They're worried about being annoying or bothersome. And they don't know what to say too. So if we can kind of take that away of like, look, they want to know what's new. They want to know what's selling best that they may not have on their store or on their floor, they want to know about any incentives or promotions you're running where they can save some money. Like these are the things they want. You're not bothering them. They signed up for your email list. They want to hear from you. So those are some of the things I've been teaching on the wholesale side. And direct-to-consumer, this is more your area than mine, but we usually recommend at least two emails a month. Um, again, they're still kind of grappling with those same things of I don't want to send too many things. I don't want to sound too salesy. I don't know what to say, but it's different. I feel like Storytelling is appropriate on both sides, but it's going to be slightly different storytelling for wholesale versus direct-to-consumer. Yeah. And just to say, like, when it comes to the wholesale side, if you're feeling like, oh, I don't want to email too often, let me tell you, if I didn't see the email the day or the day after you sent it to me, I'm never going to see it unless you show up in my inbox again, because I'm not going back to look at, oh, what did this vendor send me, right? What I would do is if I knew that it was time for me to plan my next, you know, seasonal collection or, oh, you know what? My customers have been asking me for like this type of product. Let me see what do my vendors have. I'm just going to like go to their websites. I'm not going to search through my email for old emails. So you don't have to worry about being annoying is the moral of that story. <laughs> They're not going to even know that you emailed them that often, to be honest. Well, and the same thing goes for purposing content, right? Like I tell people the same thing you put in your emails, put on a postcard that you mail to them, put it on social media, put it on your fair site, like just put it 
everywhere because even if they were to see it in multiple places, they're not going to put two and two together and say, oh, wait, didn't I see this exact same copy in that email that came out two months ago? They're not going to remember that. So save yourself some headaches and repurpose content. And, you know, even too, in the wholesale emails, I recommend having some standardized blocks that are in every one. Here's how to order with bullet points, you know, like that needs to be very clear in each one. Yes. And another thing that you should always have is if you have like immediates that you always have available, link those babies up too. Because yeah, I'm always ordering ahead of time, but sometimes I'm selling out of things faster. I've got a little extra money, business picked up, and I want to know what can I get right now today that I don't have to wait for. Those are my favorite emails for my customers to send, frankly. I find that like the last chance kind of stuff or the like quick ship emails is what we kind of call them of like in January, if it's something for Valentine's Day, it's always good to check in with stores and say, hey, if you have any holes to fill, we can get these out to you right away. Yes, you're selling to them, but what you're doing is saying, I can help you out if you're in a jam. And so you're building that relationship and adding the value, you know? So those are great emails to send. Yeah. And most of the time we are in a jam, just saying. Yeah, right? (laughs) I know. I know. (laughs) Yeah. So if you can be our savior, we are going to be really grateful to you. And loyal customers. (laughs) Yes, exactly. So this has been so amazing. I just love hearing all this insight from you. Thank you so much for being here. I do have a couple of questions that I like to ask everyone before they go. And if you've listened to my podcast at all, you know that I am a very big believer in keeping it real with my audience because e-commerce is not all sunshine and rainbows. And I think there's a lot of BS on the internet about this. So I would love to know either in your own business when you were still doing your stationary business or things that you've tried to implement with a client something that didn't work, right? Maybe you were super jazzed up about it and then it just fell flat. Yeah. So 2009, I was exhibiting at the National Stationery Show for the first time. It's now part of New York now. And it was 3 p.m. the day before the show opened. And we had all this amazing freestanding cardboard furniture that my sister had created. She's an architect. And the fire marshal came by and said, you can't use any of that. Oh, no. You can't use any of the things that are in your booth that you've spent the last two days creating. So I went behind a curtain, had a good cry for a moment, and then we hopped in a cab and went to Ikea. And we bought some shelving that didn't really match my brand. It didn't really exude the imagery of the booth, the brand that I wanted it to for our very first international trade show that I was spending thousands of dollars on. But we made it work and we figured it out and we stayed late into the night setting everything up. And the next morning I showed up with a smile on and we wrote a few orders that day and a few more through the rest of the show and we made it work. But that was a nightmare for sure. Oh my gosh. Yeah, that totally sucks. And I I mean, I've spent a lot of time at trade shows and there's so much work, energy and effort that goes into that to create that experience right? You want them to feel like this is how your customer is going to feel when they walk into your store and you have my product kind of thing. Oh yeah. We had done all sorts of work ahead of time to cross-reference that we could use these materials and getting these extra materials to there and showing that they were fireproof, but it was Saturday and the company was closed and they couldn't verify that they were fireproof materials. And like, it was just a mess on many levels. So yeah, that was a big, um, ouch at the beginning of my business. I imagine you don't miss the trade show life. 
I do actually. Do you? Yeah. I mean, well, here's what I miss about it. I miss the connecting with peers and colleagues and people from all avenues of our business. I'm really strong friends with sales reps and buyers and manufacturers because of those experiences. And I actually exhibited for several years under Proof to Products brand after I let go of my stationary brand because I was meeting so many potential clients for this coaching business too. And just we had a large contingency of our alumni exhibiting there. So it was a really great place to get together with all of them. But no, there are aspects I certainly miss about it. But I will say many of our alumni are thriving through the use of FAIR and some of these other digital platforms that are available now. Yeah, that's amazing. I think once in a while, I miss the energy of, you know, I was in New York. So, you know, I would just hop on the train, go to the city, go to my showrooms. We do the trade shows because the vendor always wants to book at the trade show because they've got numbers they have to hit. And I'm like, I don't need to be there to see it. Like, they're like, oh, but come visit. Like, we'll buy you lunch because they just want to book money at the show. Yeah. Well, and too, I'm sure they want to show their bosses. We had more traffic coming into our booth. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I was always happy to support them in that way. But I do sometimes miss, it just has a really cool energy. Oh, yeah. And to see like the new innovative products that people are coming out with. And I don't know, we can see that stuff online and on Instagram and all, but it's just different. Yeah, it is just different. I will also say I've been home for 10 months. And so like (laughs) seeing anyone in person would be nice right now. So there's that. But yes, because for those of you listening, Katie is also in LA. And you know, I mean, there's been lockdown all across the country. But I think LA is particularly locked down more than a lot of other areas in the US. I mean, they just reopened outdoor dining around me. So my husband and I are super excited to like go out to dinner, but um, it's rough. It's rough. Okay. So how about one of your biggest successes, either in your own business or with one of your clients? Yeah. In my business, I would say teaching my classes for Creative Live was like a really fun, pivotal moment for me. I taught those in 2016. I was pregnant at the time with our fourth baby, and it really opened my eyes to how much more I could do and what impact I could make for people that are in this product world. So that was really kind of a great moment for me. For my clients, I feel like I'm adding things to my warm fuzzies folder every day. And this is my area where like I save screenshots and emails and all the things that they're doing. But there is one company in particular that came through our paper camp program on scholarship. I do offer scholarships for every program that we do. And they went on to sell in Target and to create like a secondary brand that's doing different types of products. And they're doing licensing with, well, it used to be Land of Nod. I think it's something else now. But like they really went on to expand in a lot of ways that they didn't even have on their radar at the time when we first started working together. So that kind of growth in mindset and opportunities, it's just, it really makes me excited. And I get goosebumps when I think about all of them doing the things that they want to do. That's so freaking cool. I love that. It's cool. I know. And I say that from a place of like, I'm just so proud of them, you know, like we play a small part in their journey, right? But to see it come to fruition is like, I don't know. I feel like my child is growing up or something. I don't know. (laughs) I know. It's just so cool. Like when I get someone who tells me like now that they understand Google Analytics that they love it, right? And they're like totally geeking out over the data or, oh my God, so I sent this email and I got like a 30% open rate and like all these people bought stuff and oh my gosh, it just makes me so happy. And it's so funny because, you know, I really started this business by accident and you take so much of what you know for granted. That is true. 
and you think everyone else knows this already. So I can tell someone something that to me, like I've been doing on autopilot for so long and I just opened their mind up to these possibilities that they didn't even know were a thing. I mean, it's a little bit selfish, right? Because it makes me feel so good. (laughs) I know. But also the same, like the roles are reversed too. Like I'm learning through them too. You know, the things that they know and take for granted. I'm like, wait, what? Like, I didn't know that was possible. So I think, yes, it is selfish in that I get great joy from their successes. But it's that impact piece. That's really why I do what I do. Yeah, I love it. So last question. If you could give my audience one thing to take away from this episode, something they should 100% go do or implement, what would that be? Focus on your product first. I know that sounds very simple and it really is broken down to be very simple, but like focus on making a really well-designed, cohesive product line that is priced correctly. And if you have a strong product line, people are going to want to buy it. They're going to want to buy it on the wholesale side or the retail side. So just focus on that product line first, but don't overthink it too. So that's the catch 22. I don't want you getting in your own way and causing more hurdles for yourself. You can always change things down the road, but to get going, focus on that product first. Amazing. So tell everyone where they can find you. You have so many good nuggets. (laughs) Thank you. I'm at proofdeproduct.com. I have a podcast. We're nearing our 200th episode. It's called Proof to Product as well. And you can get that pretty much anywhere you listen to podcasts. And yeah, we have a community for product-based business owners that want to sell wholesale and just build a really strong business foundation. So you can find out more about that at proofdeproduct.com slash labs. Amazing. All of those links will be in the show notes. You can check her out on Instagram too. She's always on the reels. You know, it's so funny. Somebody called me out today and they're like, you haven't done a reel in a while. I'm like, yeah, no, because I'm tired and my hair's not brushed. (laughs) (laughs) I just did a reel today. I just recorded one. I think I posted it too. um, And I hadn't done one in a long time. But what was so funny is when I went in to my Instagram, I had a bunch of drafts in there. So reels that I must have batch created and then completely forgot about and didn't post. I had the same thing happen to me because I will say reels are way easier to batch create. Like get yourself dressed, put a few shirts on a couch next to you so you can switch them out and stuff like have fun with it. But then I did the same thing. I didn't realize I had a bunch of drafts in there. I'm like, oh, these were good. Let's do this. <laughs> yeah. One of them, it feels a little bit too late to post now because it was like in 2021, you know, and it was like, oh, okay, wait, I let me just rephrase it. But I was like, damn, I finally did something like practicing what I preach, batch your content, and then I didn't even freaking post it. <laughs> oh, well, just use it for like a throwback Thursday or something or like a flashback Friday. I don't know what the kids are saying these days. Here's the thing. <laughs> no one will know, guys. No exactly. one will know. <laughs> just post it. Just post it. <laughs> oh my gosh. Thank you so much again, Katie, for being here. I love chatting with you. Thanks for having me, Jessica. Everyone go just scroll down to the show notes. You'll find all of Katie's links and have a wonderful day. Thank you so much for hanging out with me and I'll see you on the flip side. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. If you like what you heard, I'd be so grateful if you'd leave a review on Apple Podcasts and don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And if you're looking to surround yourself with more product entrepreneurs who totally get your life right now, 
get your booty on over to the e-commerce badassery Facebook group. Can't wait to see you there. Until next time, e-commerce friends, stay badass.